I invite you today to turn to the book of James, chapter 1. We have been going through uh, this first chapter of James as we've opened our study on the book of James with this theme that faith works. Faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is, uh, it requires more, than, uh, more of us as a Christian. And by that we mean this, that, that the, the salvation, that the grace of God for salvation also enables us to do things for him, gives us the power to say no to sin and yes to serving God. As one theologian said, uh, it is faith that alone that saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. And it's something important for us to remember, and the book of James is very practical in how it presents these things to us. Um, and so last time we were here, uh, we looked at the most important passage in the book of James. So I encourage you, if you didn't, if you didn't get a chance to, to be here or to hear that message, to go back on our website and really grasp, hopefully, the, the concepts of James 1, verses 22 through 25, because everything else in the book of James hinges off of that verse, those, those, that passage right there. And so now we're going to continue on in this, this idea of being doers of the work of the word of God. James 1, verses 26 through 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What we see this week in this passage is evidence of God's change in our lives. Father, we thank you uh, again for the opportunity to come to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the marvelous and magnificent truths that we sang together in our hymns this morning. We thank you that the week begins and culminates in us being able to be together to worship Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to prepare our hearts every week to come here to be, to, to be with others, with other believers, and to hear from your word. And Lord, we, now as we open your word for the next few minutes and consider what you have to say to us about how we examine our own lives to see the evidences of God's change or not, that you would quiet our hearts, that you would help us to hear the word of God, that you with your Holy Spirit would apply it to our lives. And Lord, would you convict us of sin? Would you show us those areas that we are really, really struggling with? And would you show us that in you, there is great victory? And Lord, more than that, would you show us the areas of sin in our lives where we refuse to acknowledge, where we are blinded to? And Lord, would you give us, again, the grace to see great victory in these things? Or may we just walk out of this place today ready to serve you and do wonderful things for you because we have heard your truth proclaimed today. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever tried to express your faith in God to someone else and struggled in that moment with what to say? I remember, I was thinking about this message, I remembered a story from when I was a teenager living in Atlanta and one day, our youth group was out helping canvas an area of Atlanta because there was a, a new local church that was coming into the area. And so they gathered up, we gathered up and we went out there to help um, 
hit the streets of the local neighborhoods. And, and when you do that, you know, inevitably, um, you meet people out in their yard, right? And that's probably like what every teenager prays doesn't happen, you know? Can I please just put it on the door and walk away? Put it on the door and walk away. And I remember we rolled up on this house, and there was a guy out in his yard, and I guess I drew the short straw, and it was my turn to, to go up and, and talk to him. And as I approached this man in his yard with information about this church, I remember his words to this day. He looked at me and said, no thanks, I'm not into religion. And so me, you know, not wanting to be denied, I just looked right at him. I said, well, that's great, man, because this isn't religion. And thankfully, he asked no more questions because I had no answers. <laughs> and he look, kind of looked at me and said, okay, just put it in the mailbox. I had no idea what I was going to say next. Because, I mean, salvation is more than religion, right? It's more than mere acts offered to some impassive deity. We've talked all about how in God we can see growth and change through embracing and and engaging with God's word. That is all what James has talked about here, especially in these last few verses. But how do we see progression beyond meaningless acts? And if not religion, what is salvation? James, in this next section of his letter, addresses this topic. What he gives here is evidence of God's change. And just as as a plant shows evidence of life, so do those who trusted in God for salvation. They see evidence of God's work in their lives as well. And in these things, we see what lies beyond the mask of religion. We see evidences of God's change in our lives. And what we see is because knowing God is more than religious works, I must expect true life change as I walk with him. Knowing God is so much more than going through the motions. Knowing God is so much more than than, than showing up at church on Sunday or Wednesday or all the days that the church is open. Knowing God is more than opening your Bible and running your eyes across the page every once in a while. There is more to that. There is more to this, to this, uh, this, well, relationship that we have. It changes us from the inside out. And as you live your life, if you are one who says, I know the Lord Jesus is my Savior, as you live your life in Jesus Christ, you should see those things in your life. You should see the change that God is bringing about through his strength. And we see that in what James gives us in three examples here today. The first one is this. He talks about a controlled tongue. James says in verse 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious. And really what he's addressing here are these religious motions. He's further applying the change that God makes in the lives of true Christians, of of believers. We are to prepare our hearts. Okay, We saw that back in in verses uh, verses 19 through 21, that we're to prepare our hearts. And then verses 22 through 25, we see that we engage in God's word. And then rightly, if we are preparing our hearts and we're engaging in God's word, we should seek to see evidence of God's change in our lives. Because when God works in our lives, we should change. Because we are sinful. We are people who struggle, even as Christians, with sin, right? But God is holy. 
So therefore, we should be always growing and changing in the Lord. By the same token, though, James is warning of, 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 us, of another side. We cannot be so caught up with motions that we mistake that for God's work. We should not be caught up with just doing these things to say, and, and, and equating doing things with spirituality. James warns us against going through religious motions. Now, our world today is full of religion. James's day was no different. In fact, God's chosen people, Israel, we would say were very religious people. I mean, look at the things God required of his people in the Old Testament. And, and how much uh, they, they needed to do. And, and the word religious, here in verse 26, when you see when James says, if anyone among you thinks he is religious, that Greek word means devout and careful to observe routines and even religious restrictions. And in the law of God, what God gave the, to, to his people in the Old Testament, that was not a bad thing. They were to do those things, but they were what? They were pointing ahead to the Savior. And we read in our passage this morning from Matthew chapter 15, though, that there were some, like the Pharisees, who had taken the law of God and they had added their own traditions onto it, so much so to the fact that they were nullifying what the law of God actually said. So this brings into our minds, though, when we hear the word religion or religious, I always, you know, get images of those who perform actions maybe to some false god, right? Or they they do all of these things. We may well think of idol worshipers or those embedded in some cult or false religion because their lives are full of action, but there's no real change. Have you ever met anyone who was a very devoted religious person? I mean, they went through all of these things. They showed up at these, all of these services or all of these worship events or all of these whatever it was that was required of them, but their life just kind of looked like everybody else, right? James says there's something totally different in the life of a Christian. Our lives shouldn't just be full of action, but of change. And many a church has had such people in it as well. You can do what many would even consider good things, but not be pleasing to God. Following rituals, engaging in acts of service, and things like this are not means to an end. You you and I, we do not do these things. We do not show up at church or read the Bible or, or or give money here or help this person in need. This is not a means to an end. This is not we do this so that God will X, Y, Z. You know what they are? They're the result of what God did in our life. I do these things because God changed me and and draws me to these things. They are the natural outflow of the life of a Christian. They are not the method by which we gain eternal life or by which we curry favor with God. As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And a lot of times we stop right there when we give the gospel, and that's good. But continue on. For we are his workmanship. Who is? Those who have come to Jesus Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been recreated You have been regenerated. 
You have been given spiritual life to do good works, to do the things of God. So there's a difference between one going through the motions and one who truly knows Christ. The core parts of a person's being will reveal their true heart condition. And as we walk through this life, we can see evidence of God's change in us, and we can seek with God's help to engage in these things. And so here are three, I, I guess sometimes I've called them tests of our, of our spiritual growth. And, and I, always, I guess I always get the picture in my mind, I, I go back to um, chemistry class. Some of you, how many of you like chemistry class? Okay. In, in chemistry, I, I really hope this is chemistry. Maybe I'm saying the wrong thing. We're going to find out. This is, it's really dangerous when pastors go off script, okay? You have um, litmus tests. Is that chemistry? Oh, thank goodness. All right. I always, you know, those are fun to do, right? You get these red strips or blue strips, or sometimes you get ones that go red or blue. Um, and, and what you do is you put them in a, in a liquid, and it tells you if it's an acid or a base. Now, I know there are some that will tell you the pH level and all that, but let's just talk about the very basic high school chemistry class. A lot of times it's going to be red or blue. And the answer isn't, you know, oh, is it kind of or this? Oftentimes it's, is it base? Is it acidic? Yes or no? And that's a lot like these, these things here that James lists. Are you growing in Christ or are you not? These things will help you know. There are these th- and these three things that James lists are obviously not exhaustive. But they are, the, but they are key in our Christian growth. And they are a great help to us as we seek to grow in God's grace. And so the first one is, is as we said, is this area of a controlled tongue. James says, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. James says that, that the one who seeks, that, that claims to be right with God and really is not will be revealed by his speech. The tongue is a powerful gift from God. It can be used for good and wonderful things, but also because of sin, it can be used for horrible, awful things as well. Now in James chapter 3, James unpacks further the power of the tongue. But here, we'll see it just briefly, it is a great evidence of what is going on in our hearts. See, what happens is what you are at your core Who you are truly on the inside eventually comes out in your outward expressions. You can be the most deeply religious person, but if your speech is full of sin, you're reflecting truly what's on the inside, an unchanged heart. God expects us to honor him with what we say or what we don't say. And the tongue is not so easily controlled. How many of you have going through life have ever found that to be true? The tongue is hard to control, right? And that's what James talks about here. He, he, he talks about how we are to control these things. It, it is not something that we can do on our own, but we need the help of God. Evidence of growth in God is what James says here, the bridling of the tongue with his help. Now, this doesn't mean that you never speak. That's not what James says here. It's not the call to be a silent monk. 
It is instead the picture of controlling our tongues to use them in ways that please God. We have all no doubt been on the receiving end of both good and horrible uses of the tongue. We have no doubt been encouraged in our, in our deepest core and, and being and our hearts by those who have spoken words to us. We have, we have no doubt heard the sweet songs that are a balm to our soul in the midst of a trial. And by the same token, we have also been lashed out at. We experience hurt and heartache by what others have said. And if we're honest, we've given out both of these things as well. There's great potential in the tongue. And God wants to change our hearts so that our speech reflects him more. Notice, you have to get it in the right order. God doesn't want to change our tongues so that our hearts will change. He wants to change our hearts so it will be reflected in our speech. Because the tongue reveals the heart. And many, many a reason has been given why someone's speech is the way it is. Things like, well, that's just how I was raised. That's why I talk like that. Well, I'm not really like that. I just, in the moment, I couldn't help it. Or, I promise, I'm better than that. These are all things people say. But Jesus says, there is great sin within our hearts, and it comes out in our lives. Let me refer you back to this passage in Matthew 15, verse 11. Now, what goes into the mouth, not, I'm sorry, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And of course, we read that this morning, and you get the context of, of the disciples and their unwashed hands and how it broke the tradition of the Pharisees. And Jesus says, it's, it's not what you're putting in that's making you sinful. It's what's coming out of your heart. Your speech reveals your heart. Those things which long to leap from your tongue and into the ears of others show you what's going on in your innermost being. God wants us to put away sin, to embrace his word, to be a doer of that word, and in turn, we see that affect our speech. And this goes beyond the words that we say in a controlled environment. Because most of us can say the right things or even in the right way for a certain amount of time. We can go into church every week, and you can put on your game face for all those engagements you're going to have at church. You can say, okay, I'm walking to church. I'm going to say the right thing so everybody will, will think I'm okay. But outside of those times in your life, what does your speech say of you? Look to the daily family interactions with those who know you best. What, is, what are, what are the, the words that you communicate to those people in your home and in the tone that you present them to the people in your home, say about what God is doing in your heart. That's the real test. Look to the social media engagements or anonymous posts. What do these things say about how you're really living? Might they reveal one who is just going through the motions? Controlling one's tongue is something only God can help us with. I mean, have you ever felt the urge to say something that you know you shouldn't say? 
Hopefully you have. And hopefully it's not just, well, no, I mean, I always just say it, right? My mom, growing up, used to always say, just because your brain moves doesn't mean your mouth has to. And I really work on that. But in that moment, what do you do? Do you, by God's help, find his grace and strength to say no to that impulse? Or do you let loose and just put it all out there? Sometimes I think that the tongue is like the dipstick of the heart. I enjoy working on my my cars. I enjoy doing the things. I know just enough to be dangerous. And so I I thankfully have learned over the years what not to engage in usually. Um, But usually. But, you know, one of the things is when you change your oil, you have that little metal rod, right? It goes down in your, your engine. It tells you how much oil you have, you know, in there. And it, you know, it, it tells you, hey, you know, you don't have enough, or you got too much, or hopefully you're good. You know, sometimes our tongue is like that. It tells you the change level of your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. And that requires us to be honest. It requires us to say, God, are you, will you help me examine these things and see what you're doing in my life. James says in this verse, if a man thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. The picture is this. He is not controlling his speech, yet he is saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But yet he's not fine. You need to be honest before God. And for one who sees no bridling of speech, James has very strong words. He ends this verse by saying, this one's religion is useless. That word in the New Testament, this Greek word means worthless and practically godless. And it's used in other places in the New Testament to refer to idolatry and worthless things before God. Acts chapter 14, verse 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these, and here's the word, useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. That's the same word where James says that religion is useless, just like an idol is useless. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3.20, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are, and this is the word here, futile. The wisdom of man is nothing compared to God. So just as idols and man's old wisdom are useless to save a man's soul, the one who has experienced no heart change from God is going through useless motions. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can come to church every week. You can give money. You can sing songs. You can even open your Bible and nod along in the messages. But without God's heart change, it is meaningless. It will not save your soul. And just as man's wisdom is useless compared to God's, a redeemed life bearing no fruit is useless to the kingdom of God. God calls his own to action, as we saw last time, to be a doer of the work. Martin Luther said this, 
a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And Martin Luther notably hated the book of James. But for a guy who hated the book of James, he really grasped this concept pretty well. Salvation is life transformation. A change of the eternal destiny that works itself out on this, on this earth. And if you want to see real change and real victory in your life, you need a vibrant, active relationship with God. And if you sit here as someone who says, I know the Lord is my Savior, and you do not see such things reflected in the way you speak, you need to do a heart checkup with God. And I'm not here to tell you that you don't really know God. I'm here to tell you, you may have something between you and God you need to work through. Because, Because God changes people. Inward change manifests itself in outward actions. And now James positively talks about these two other evidences of change. Not only is it this idea of a controlled tongue, but secondly, we see evidence of God's change in care for others. This is down here in verse 27. James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. What we see here is this picture of genuine growth. An unbridled tongue reveals useless religion. Religious motions and actions don't save us. Only God can do that. And so that's one side, right? That's one side of the misnomer that religious actions are going to save someone. Now let's look at the other side. Some think that they can change themselves. As we said, that they can do enough good things to keep God happy. And some Christians even engage in the good Christian checklist. What are they, and what do we, we hope to gain by the good Christian checklist? And by the way, this doesn't mean that making a checklist is a bad thing, okay? But what I'm saying here is sometimes we, we start going through the motions. I went to church, I did this, I did that, and why? Why do we do that? Well, hopefully it'll bring me into money or it'll keep away trials or, or it'll keep me out of testings. That's not how it works. In fact, God has promised that trials will come into the life of a Christian. Just look through the scripture at those who walked with God faithfully and see those things. But you can go back to the first part of James and see why God brings those things into our lives. On the other side, so you have that side. That, that whether it's because they're saved or unsaved, that they think that they're going to keep God happy by doing, going through the motions. But on the other side, you have this. There are those who see salvation as nothing more as a prayer to get out of hell and that's it. Hey, they cling to this truth. And this is, a, this is an important and vital truth. That once saved, always saved. But it continues on. Once saved, always saved. And, and now it doesn't really matter. I can live how I want. Because, hey, God forgives. And Paul very adamantly speaks against that in Romans chapter 6. That, that, that with that is a very uh, immature understanding of what salvation is. As worthless as mere religious actions are, so too is this mentality. Because transformation of the heart leads to transformation of our lives practically. And here, James shows us what he calls pure and undefiled religion. 
Those two words taken together mean clean and free from contamination. Mere religion or a life not lived for the Lord is full of sin. But those who belong to God and grow in him can live victoriously over sin and unto God's glory. And the evidence of God's change reflects the character of God, the Father of all believers. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. We have to understand that, that this, that is the standard. God is the standard of holiness. God is the standard of what is right. And God is the one that we seek to grow in. He is the only one that we need to worry about when it comes how, to how we live our lives. As one person has said before, nothing to prove, one person to please. Our lives must be acceptable before him. And that really ratchets up the expectations in our life a little bit, doesn't it? Because sometimes, sometimes we replace this word in this verse. We replace pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father with something like, well, before, you know, as long as I live okay in front of the pastor or the other churchgoers or the unsaved neighbor or people in my family. And that's a little bit easier for us to attain sometimes, right? Especially those you only see every once in a while. As long as I'm living okay before them. But that's not what James says. James says that we must live in such a way before an omniscient, holy God. And this should challenge us constantly to walk in the ways of the Lord and see him do great work in our lives. And there are two things that are mentioned here that show a life of a Christian actively living for the Lord. And it begins with this care for others. James says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. James goes right to a very specific example of selfless love and care. And he talks about caring for orphans and widows. And it's a really interesting word here that James uses. We, we have translated here um, to visit orphans and widows. But, but that word visit really isn't a strong enough word to convey what that Greek word means. The word visit here means to look out for or carries the idea of inspection. It's not just dropping by to see how they're doing, but helping to meet their needs. Let me give you a, a parallel usage of this word in Luke chapter 1 and verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And this is, this is right before Jesus Christ is born. This is actually uh, when um, John the Baptist, the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. God did not just drop in for a visit on earth. He came to redeem sinners. He came to meet man's greatest need. And so let's, when we go back to this idea of what James is saying, talking about to visit, to take care of, to look after the needs of orphans and widows, we have to understand that orphans and widows, especially in James's day, were those with the greatest needs. They didn't have government welfare plans. They could offer nothing in return. And in this society, in this culture, women typically did not work. So if, if a woman's husband died, 
she didn't have any means oftentimes of others to take care of her. So it fell on the church to take care of their own and to show them the selfless love of Christ. The loss of a spouse or of one's parents brings great physical trouble into one's life. And we as Christians, as believers, are called on to help others in these times of trouble. This is the kind of care we are to have for others around us. Not to be a welfare system, but to be a family to others who are in need. To show care and concern and, to, to those who have nothing to offer in return. Now, showing care and concern and what may look like selfless love to those who have something to offer in return is, is easy, right? I mean, our world knows how to do that. Our world knows how to engage in, okay, that person can help me out later, so if I'm nice to them now, they'll be nice to me later. We understand that concept, but that's not what God is talking about. God's way is entirely different, because this is the very love that God showed us. We are broken, spiritually bankrupt people. Even our righteousness, Isaiah says, is as filthy rags. We have nothing to offer to God. But God and his love sent Jesus to give us a way back to himself. And now we can live out the ways of God by showing this love to others. And what we understand from scripture is this. God cares very greatly for those who have suffered. If you have suffered, if you have experienced terrible loss and heartache, God cares for you. And he reiterates that over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. He wants you to know his love and his comfort. And as Christians, we have the opportunity to express God's love to others. We can show them the hope and the love and the graciousness of Jesus Christ. And that That may be physically that we do those things. And definitely, spiritually, showing an interest in their lives as well. If these are fellow Christians, we can encourage their hearts to trust in God and to find joy in Him. And we can be a tangible blessing to others. This type of care and concern is evidence of God's work in our lives. Because it doesn't come from us. It comes from God working in us. With God's help and growth in our lives, we can show selfless care for others no matter what. Very practically, to these groups, to the orphans and widows that James speaks of. And then third, James says that we see evidence of God's transformation, God's work in our lives through a commitment to separation. James says at the end of verse 27, And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The last evidence of spiritual growth that James mentions is the idea of living opposite of the world around us. And this takes an ongoing commitment in Jesus Christ and in the strength of God of being unspotted. Or perhaps better said here, unstained by the world that we live in. When James uses this Greek word that we have translated world here, he is referring to the system of sin that pervades our culture. 
our world is completely and fully embroiled in sin and the things of sin. And you do not have to look far to see the filth of sin in our world. From leadership to neighbors, entertainment to headlines, our world is full of sin and the agenda of Satan is pushed forward every day. And a love for the world and its system has no place in the life of a true follower of Christ. As John wrote in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We must not engage in things in our lives that will make this system of the world an ongoing, integral part of our lives. This is, again, not a call to living in a monastery. For God has given us things in this life to enjoy, and he has called us to serve here in this world. But the things of this world have no true value in the life of a Christian. And especially the sinful things of this life. The way the world operates should have no pull in the life of a believer. Because our values and our direction come from God, his word and his active work in our hearts. And as the world grows darker, which it does every day, the light of a believer should shine brighter. And what we find as we separate from sin is that we can have an incredible ministry to others. I want to speak to you just very briefly here from this, from this, from this verse about the ministry of, of separation in our own lives. Separating from sin I think, shamefully so, sometimes becomes like the Christian merit badge. We say things like, or we think things like, well, I don't do that, right? It's like you got your little badge right here. I'm a good Christian. I separated from a sin. And, I, and, and to that line of thinking, I would say, good, that's what we're supposed to do. I'm sorry, there are no merit badges given out for doing what God expects us to do. It is the norm for Christians to continually separate from things in this life. And that line of thinking has, has carried on within Christendom, off and on throughout the years, that, that, well, we don't do this, and look at us, because we don't do that, and we do do this, and we don't, right? And so, this is how, this is how it operates. I've said this before. It operates like, like a pendulum. And so we don't like this over here. And I don't like this. I'll be honest with you. I don't like this. It it, it smacks of legalism. But the other side is just as dangerous. Because in, in, in reaction to this pious separation, we go the other way, and and too many of us as Christians spend our lives looking for reasons for freedom. We say things like, now, where in the world does it, where in the Bible does that really say it's wrong? Or, you know what? I'm just going to claim a little bit of Christian liberty here. I'm going to be okay. Instead, 
We should be so overwhelmed by the love of God who has redeemed us to serve him. Instead of spending our lives saying, I don't do this, or why can't I do that, just saying, God, show me what you want me to do. And whatever you show me from your word, I'm going to do it. Why do we struggle to say that? We struggle to say that because we're worried what we're doing might be wrong. Right here, case in point, okay? And you know what? Along the way in life, we may grow in our walk with God, and you might find yourself one day doing something that one time, at one time you, you thought for sure that was wrong. But as you've grown in the Lord, you're like, I, this is actually okay. As you've grown and you've matured. At the same time, we will also hopefully grow and change and embrace an area of separation in our own lives that at one point we would have said, you know, if I don't get to do this, I won't really be happy. But we look at it and go, I have God, I don't need anything else. And yeah, I don't do that anymore, whatever that is, and it's okay. And what you'll find is that as you separate from sin, you can actually have a greater ministry to the world you live in. Here's the thing. The world isn't looking for more of the same. It's looking for something different. One commentator said this. The best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. The world has plenty of filth and emptiness and endless pursuits of happiness. It doesn't need anything else like that. What the world needs is the holiness of God, true fulfillment, and everlasting joy. And you and I, through a, through a life filled with Jesus Christ, we can show that. We can offer that through the gospel. That's what the world needs. The things we separate from should send a clear message. I want to serve the Lord. Not to look better than someone else. And certainly not to fit into someone else's Christian box. But simply because I want to honor God and make a difference for him. And these areas of separation, they're very personal and they're very practical sometimes. And they come through an active relationship with God. And this is why sometimes it's very difficult. It's these, these areas that we mentioned earlier, right? Living in, in the, you know, we don't, the Christian merit badge or the just whatever, right? Those are easy places to live. Because over here, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, you know, Pastor Smellfungus said that this was okay. And this was not okay. Or over here, like I don't care what Pastor Smellfungus says, we just do whatever, right? In the middle... It's predicated on your relationship with God. On you opening up the word of God and studying what it says and saying, God, help me to apply this to my life. Will you help me by your strength and your power to get rid of things I need to get rid of, to embrace things I need to embrace? And along the way, hopefully, God puts in your life Christian brothers and sisters 
who could help you with that. Okay, I'm not diminishing the value of pastor smell fungus, okay? But it has to start with a personal desire to grow and change. And that is the only way we see God change us, is through his word. Because knowing God is more than religious works, I must expect true life change as I walk with him. It should be odd if you're a Christian that you're not growing and changing. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. On this side of eternity, there's still growth left. I may not have known that day as I stood in that man's driveway what to say if he had pressed the matter any further. But by God's grace, I can tell you now, That in God, we do not find religion. We find a relationship. A relationship that changes your life from the inside out. The saving work of God goes far beyond the the settling of your eternity. It has great impact on your temporal life and on your behaviors on this earth. And if it doesn't, you need to begin to ask why not. And we understand that about human relationships. True, meaningful human relationships do change us. We we begin to adjust to what that person is like or what they don't like. We remember things about them. And there there are friends that I have and relationships that I have. And and, and I'll just be walking down the street and, or in a store, and I'll see something, and I'll think of that person, right? Because, why, that changed my life, right? Because I have a relationship with that person, right? To be honest, obviously, it's usually when I'm scrolling through and I see a meme, you know, on like, oh, that's really funny. I'll send that to so-and-so because they'll really like that, right? That relationship changed. It, it changes us. The same is true of our relationship with God. A relationship with God changes us. Going through religious motions won't save you. Only God can do that. In his word, you'll find the truth of yourself as a sinner and the provision of a savior. And if you're here today and you are not 100% sure that when you die, you will spend eternity in heaven with God, you you can walk out of this place today knowing that is a fact. I would be happy to open the word of God and show you what he says. That he will place you in his family forever and give you the power to make the changes that we see here. As a Christian, what does your life say of you? Your speech, your expressions of selfless love, and your separation from the world will show you so much. Your engagement in these things or your lack of engagement will tell you a lot about where you are and seeing God's changed evidenced in your life so very simply what will you do with what you see don't mistake your relationship with God for mere religion relationships require so much more than superficial religious rituals a relationship means commitment time change and growth. I mean, those are all, those four things are the key to a successful relationship, aren't they? To be committed, 
to put in the time to see change and growth. And that's exactly what it takes for a healthy relationship with God that evidences itself in a life of growth. Let's bow our heads and pray. And as we pray this morning, before I pray, I want to give you an opportunity that if God is working in your life, or he's shown you something here today, that you have the opportunity to just now, in the quietness of this moment, (coughs) to speak to God. And what I want you to do is, is if God has touched your heart in your life this morning about something that that we have talked about here, or, or even not, would you thank him for that? And would you, at this juncture, would you ask him to help you to take whatever steps you need to make the change that he has shown you in your life? Lord, we thank you that you've not left us out here to sort through these things on our own. We thank you that through your word, you've been very clear. You've been very clear to show us that in our lives, if we are truly growing and changing, there's evidence of that. And God, would you help us today, just as we've seen these three little checks of our own life, Would you help us to know how we're doing? Would you examine our speech, our thoughts, our communication with others? Would you examine our love? Would you examine our separation, our our view on the things of this world? Would you convict us of our sin? And would you give us in Jesus Christ, the strength to make it right. Lord, in a few minutes, we're going to leave this place and the thoughts of what we're doing for lunch or this afternoon are going to begin to fill our hearts and minds. Would you continue to work away in our hearts? Would you continue to hammer the truth of the gospel home? Lord, would you help us to take time to sit down, to meditate on these things, to seek help if we need it. And may we see true spiritual victory and where we give you the glory and the praise for what you long and can and will do in and through us. your name we pray, amen.